First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin to read from verse 13. And as we read, we remember that this is the Word of God, and so we can trust it completely. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Amen. We thank God for his word to us and trust that he'll help us to understand it as we come to look at it later on in the service together. Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you here in Hill Street. It's great to be part of the church family. Can I thank everyone who gave me a good handshake at the door and welcomed me here and spoke with me? Uh, and it's great to get uh, settled into the congregation. No better way to start than uh, on your first evening to have to preach to the congregation. So thank you so much uh, for being gracious uh, and having me along to preach. As we come to God's Word, please do open it this evening at the book of First Peter and the verses that we had read to us uh, by Peter a little bit earlier. We're in First Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 through to 21 this evening. So First Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 through to 21, as we think of God's Word. A title for this evening on our service or on our message is this, living with a distinct hope that produces a distinctive holiness that reaches undistinctive people. Now let me say that again, living with a distinctive hope that produces a distinctive holiness that reaches undistinctive people. This morning, uh, Nigel welcomed me here, and he said about Stephen, Stephen was a, a wee assistant, and uh, now you've got a, a little bit of a bigger assistant. Uh, I don't know if that was a compliment or uh, what it was, but I'm here anyhow. And uh, a, a little while ago, uh, about it, just over a year ago, a few of us, uh, a few of my boys, uh, one of the fellas was getting married, so it was a stag do, and we decided that we would head over to Manchester. Uh, Carl Frampton was fighting Scott Quigg, so all the boys, some of them are sitting over here, uh, all the boys, we headed over uh, to watch this fight. Now, the dress code for the evening, arriving to Manchester, dress code for the evening was everybody had to wear smart casual, blazers on, nice pair of trousers, nice shirt. Make sure that everybody looked respectful as we headed off to watch this uh, boxing fight in the biggest indoor arena in Europe. So that was all right. The stag himself, Jason, uh, he came down. He was fully dressed up, nice blazer on, nice crisp shirt. 
and a nice pair of trousers. And just before we left the hotel, we said to Jason, Jason, you're not going out looking like that. And we produced a little baby blue silky outfit for him. It was a full baby costume for Jason. Now remember where we're going. We're going to a boxing match. And here's Jason dressed as a full baby with the dummy and all. And here we head off on the tram to this boxing match. Now, whenever we get into the boxing match, you think some of us boys, maybe from around Lagall are big. Whenever we arrived into Manchester Arena, the boys that were there were absolutely massive. Big, burly men. The muscles on them, shirts tight. And here's Jason walking around like a fully grown uh, baby. What's the point of telling you that story? Well, Jason that night was distinctive. Uh, he was distinctive in his appearance, so distinctive that he managed to get a picture with Johnny Evans, a footballer who plays for Northern Ireland. But Jason was distinctive in that culture. And tonight as we come to this passage, what makes us as a Christian church and as individual disciples of Jesus distinctive in this world? It's Hill Street Presbyterian placed here in Lurgan, what makes us different? What makes us distinctive? What is the difference between ourselves and the social club, the coffee shop, the sports bar, the sports club, the walking group? What makes us distinctive? And perhaps as we start to think about that this evening, we think as good Presbyterians, and we think, what makes us distinctive? Well, perhaps it's our color of carpet, the nice royal blue carpet, Perhaps it's our Westminster Confession of Faith and our catechisms. Perhaps it's the, the Burnham Bush logo. But at a deeper level, what makes us even more distinctive? And see, perhaps we start to struggle. What makes us distinctive from the world around us? Our world around us? It's not our dress. It's not our voices. It's not our names. On one level, it might be the things that we do or the places we go or the things that we say. But people can often write that off as a lifestyle choice, can often write that off as a hobby. Tonight, there is one thing that makes us different, one thing that Peter tells us that will make us different, that fundamentally changes everything about us, and consequently, we will see our actions change. And it is this, it is our hope. It is our hope. So tonight, we want to look at what difference, understanding, or hope can make for us as a church and as individuals this evening. Now, as we break into this letter, what is going on? Well, Peter here is writing to the churches that are scattered across modern-day Turkey. He's writing to encourage them as they're about to receive some persecution. The date of the letter is around 30, or 62 to 63 AD, so around the time that Nero, the emperor, is about to persecute the Christian church. So it's a really difficult time to be a Christian and Peter's writing to these people, mostly from a, a Gentile pagan background, telling the brothers and sisters to endure suffering by giving themselves fully to God. So Peter sets the paradigm that just as Christ suffered and then entered into glory, so too his followers will have to suffer before being exalted. So knowing in the previous uh, verses in chapter 1, knowing that Peter has addressed the church and that they are now spiritually refreshed, he sets about how to make them ready to live obedient lives for Christ. And that brings us to our first verse in verse 13. And our first point is this, we think as Christians with a distinctive mindset. We think with a distinctive mindset as Christians. I wonder what sort of a person you are whenever it comes to difficult situations are you a person who has a glass half full or a glass half empty outlook? 
At Easter time, uh, myself and my friends headed off to uh, Port Stewart for Easter. And we have a friend, and he got into the car, and from we left the house and put it down, he started to say to us boys, boys, I think it's going to rain, right? And we He's called Thomas. Thomas, we don't really want to hear that. You know, we're going away for the weekend. We don't want it to rain. Way up to Port Stewart, we're just through Magarah. Thomas saw some uh, gray clouds in the sky. He says to us again, boys, I think it's going to rain. We're like, Thomas, stop saying it's going to rain. We we get into Port Stewart. We go to play a game of golf. Just before we get out of the car, the little par three, nothing serious, little par three there along the coast road. Thomas says, boys, I think it's going to rain. We said, Thomas, it hasn't rained yet. It's not going to rain. Stop saying it's going to rain. And this is how it went on all weekend. Went to go for a meal that night. We were heading there. We were walking along uh, over the tides. He says, boys, I think it's going to rain. It didn't rain. That night, we got home. We got changed. We went for a walk along the beach with the rugby ball. He says, boys, I think it's going to rain. It didn't rain. It didn't rain on the Saturday. It didn't rain on the Sunday. But on the way home in around, uh, in around Stewartstown, it started to rain. And we said, Thomas, you know what? It's starting to rain, so it is. He, is. he had predicted it about three days in advance. And as Christians, I wonder how we think. You see, often whenever someone asks us how we are, we think that we have to put ourselves through this filter and say with some sort of surface-level smile, we're okay. We're doing fine. Everything's going to be all right. And we feel guilty if we don't have that sort of response, if we don't have that sort of positive outlook, if we don't look at things with the glass-half-full attitude, then we think that there's something wrong Peter here addresses the church, and in verse 6 of chapter 1, he identifies that being a Christian is going to be tough, that we will go through various trials. So when it comes to verse 13, he tells the people to set their minds on the hope fully of the grace that is to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't a surface level, everything's okay, everything's positive. This is a deep core principle of life. It's not a surface-level quick-fix injection. It's not a quick antidote to a negative situation. This is deep, and this is meaningful. And we don't often get this in the English language. Well, why? Because the biblical word for hope is different from our normal English understanding. When we say in English that we hope something will happen, we are expressing our desire for a particular outcome. The biblical understanding of hope is vastly different. Biblical hope is a certainty. It is what Hebrews 6 and 19 calls an anchor of the soul. So for Peter, this is crucial. Preparing the people's minds for action, as we see in verse 13, you are sober-minded, set your hope on the grace that will come. Some translations uh, translate it as gird your loins, ready for battle. What does that mean? It means as a Roman soldier, it's the picture of a Roman soldier pulling up his his long cloaks, tucking them into his belt so that he can maneuver ready for battle, that he is ready to fight and to go out into the battlefield. And Peter wants the church to be ready to fight. They are elect exiles, verse 1. They are foreigners and sojourners. They're living in this dangerous world, and he wants them to, verse 12, to bring glory to God. He wants the dead to come alive in 4, verse 6. And for this to happen, he exhorts the Christians to get their deep reinforced foundation on the grace that will come, on the hope that will come in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a period in church history that can be classified often as mindless and anti-intellectual. R.C. Sproul comments 
on this passage about how he would often ask his students in theological college, what do you think of this passage? He said they would often respond to him by saying, I feel that the statement is incorrect. Sproul said that he would have to stop them. I didn't ask you how you felt. I wasn't asking about your emotional response. I was asking, what did you think about it? And it's a danger for us as a church that we do not just work off our feelings, but that we know what we think. For Peter and for the church here in modern-day Turkey, it was vital that they understood this. So verse 13 stands right at the center. It is hope for us. He mentions hope in verse 3. He mentions hope in verse 21. And right here in the middle is the arrowhead, the imperative, the command, struggling Christian, set your hope fully on the future coming of Christ. What does that look like for us in real life? 16th of July last year. 16th of July last year was a Sunday evening. And I was here in this church. I was preaching. Uh, You had me along. At that stage, we didn't know that uh, I would be here as an assistant. But that Sunday evening, there was someone uh, special here to me. Sitting over at this side of the church was my auntie. And my auntie that evening, she didn't know it, uh, but she had only one week left to live. She had been fighting cancer. And it was the first time that she made it along to hear me preaching. She made it here to Hill Street. And on the Friday of that week, I called with my auntie, and I read God's word with her. She was a believer. And we read Psalm 91, and the words I read were these, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, in the face of death, she had her eyes firmly fixed on the hope that was to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew it to be true. She was confident in it. It was an anchor to her soul. A deep hope, not a surface level, not a glossed over smile. So friend here tonight, do you have that hope? In the middle and in the midst of a hopeless world, in the midst of an island that is gonna vote next week on a horrendous, on a horrendous decision of life. Friend, tonight, do you have hope in Jesus Christ? Christian, have you let the storms of life occupy your mind and your thoughts and lost sight of this glorious hope? And as a church, do we see this glorious hope and does it ready us for the fight to go out and to reach the world around us? We have this distinctive mindset It is plumbed directly to this center hope in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us distinctive from this world. And then in the verses 14 uh, 14 through to 17, we have this distinctive mindset, but we also then have and display a distinctive characteristic. We are different people. Whenever I was a little boy and went along to Richmond Primary School, one of my favorite things about Richmond Primary School was the school dinners. The school dinners were fantastic, and the school dinner ladies absolutely loved me. Why did they love me? Because I went up every day for seconds and for thirds. I loved school dinners, and I loved school desserts, getting the custard and the little sponge that we got with that. And some days, if you're really good, you got strawberry custard, and it was excellent. And I really made the most out of my years in primary school, so much so that every year, 
I was a, a growing child, so I, every year I, I put on a stone with my age. So whenever I was 10, I was 10 stone and so on. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't continued. But uh, <laughs> every year I put on weight. And the statement for me was very true, you are what you eat. But here in this passage, Peter's not talking about you are what you eat. He's talking about you are what you think. You are what you think. If you have your mind fixed firmly on this hope in Jesus, then it will affect every part of your life. It'll flow from you. Whenever you see Jesus as a sure and certain hope, then you will be transformed. Whenever we set our minds on this hope, it impacts our character. And Peter calls here to the church in verse 14, do not be conformed to your evil desires. Don't go back to these evil desires that you once had. Turn away from them. See Christ in all of his glory. See him in his certainty that one day he will return. One day we will be with him again. And let that filter throughout your life. Let it change and transform you. This is all born out of verse 16, where God says, be holy, for I am holy. The primary meaning here for the term holy refers to God's transcendent majesty, his otherness, the the sense in which God is different from anything else created. Again, R.C. Sproul states that the call here is to nonconformity, that we are to be imitators of God in his difference. Just as God is different from the world, so we are his children different from the world. And this isn't a call to just be different for the sake of being different. It's a call to be like Christ, like his children. We are to be different. It's a call to be rooted in holiness. And where does it come from? It comes all the way from the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and into Leviticus in 11 and 45 we hear of how God delivered his people from the land of Egypt. And because he delivered them, because he had done this great act for them, he calls them to be holy. And so too the call for us this evening as a church, as God has given his only son for us, he calls us to be holy. Whenever we understand the gracious work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this evening we are to be holy, we are to be sanctified, We are not to be conformed to the previous evil ways of this world. So tonight, how do we know that God is our one true hope? How do we know that we have our hope in Jesus Christ? We know it because our character is distinctive. What does it look like to have a distinctive character? Well, for Peter and for this church, it was going through the world with this filter of hope. The Christian had their eyes fixed heavenward. So this hope would bring character change and it would, be, it would transform the person and transform their character. And because of this hope, because of this transformation in our souls, it brings us freedom. John Piper says this, if men speak well of us, it doesn't matter. If they hate you, it doesn't matter. If you have a lot of things, it doesn't matter. If you have a little amount of things, it doesn't matter. If you are persecuted or lied about, it doesn't matter. If you are famous or unheard of, it doesn't matter. All that matters this evening is that you are in Christ and that your hope is in Him. 
So as a church, are we distinctive? In Lurgan, do the people see us as a church of hope? In our workplaces, do people see us as people of hope? Do we bring love to our community? Do we bring truth and mercy and grace and light? And as individual followers, are we doing that one to the other? Are we loving well? Are we acting with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control? You see, it is our aim that the community around this church would know this place as a beacon of hope, not because of us, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they would see him in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, and that they would love him. And it is our aim as individuals, the people around us would know us as people of hope. Why do we do this? Why do we want to be a holy people? Well, our passage tells us because of God's character in verses 15 to 16, the example he has set for us, because of God's looming judgment in verse 17, this isn't a a fear that paralyzes, but this is a fear of a fowler. We are in awe of him. We are reverent towards him. And then in 18 and 19, we are holy because of Christ's sacrifice for us. So our final point is this, verses 18 and the 21. We have a distinctive story. We have a distinctive story. We act with a distinctive mindset. We have a distinctive character. And here we have a distinctive story. We see it in our verses. We'll work through them. Verses 18 down tells us as a church that we are redeemed. Once your life was meaningless, it was aimless and it was empty. Now you've been bought with a currency that will never perish You have been rescued and rescued forever. Again, Peter goes back to the book of Exodus. We see strong, strong correlation between this letter and that book. Verse 19, we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. He is the lamb without spot and without blemish. He is the perfect one, the one who would sacrifice himself once and for all. And then in verses 20 to 21, we hear how this was decided before the creation of the world. This was God's eternal plan to rescue his people through the love and sacrifice of his son. And because God has raised him from the dead, because God has glorified him, so he will do the same for us. So what is our story this evening? There's people here gathered on a Sunday evening in Hill Street Presbyterian, if you are a believer, tonight your story is this. Once you were not a person, once, you, once we were not a people as a church, and now we're God's people. Once we had not received mercy, and now we have received mercy. Once we were in darkness, now we are in light, and our future inheritance is secure, and it is eternal. Well, friend, if this is not your story, then your story goes something like this. You're not part of God's people. You're not under mercy. You're walking in darkness and not in light. And a future of punishment and torment lies ahead of you. Friend, the good news is that your story does not have to be like that. 
this evening, come and share in the story that we read about here in 1 Peter, a story that shapes this church, that shapes individuals, and it can shape you too. Come this evening and have your hope firmly fixed in Jesus and in absolutely nothing else. This passage tells us that Christ redeems us through his imperishable blood, not with silver, not with gold. Our hope is on him, the one who died and who was rose again, the one who sits in heaven and intercedes for us and who will come again to take us to be with himself. That is the one who anchors our soul. That is the one who we hope in this evening. So as we close tonight, we want to be a family of disciples here in this place. We want to live with this distinctive hope that produces a distinctive holiness that will reach undistinctive people, that will reach out into our community, that will reach those whom we rub shoulders with in our town, people that you share a room with at work, people that you share a room with at college, people that you meet as you go about your day-to-day life, that our hope in Jesus will shine onto them, that they will see that as being different. Just like my mate Jason stood out like a sore thumb in the middle of a boxing match. We want to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ because of our hope, our hope in the midst of a hopeless world, in a world that moves further and further away from our Lord and from our Savior, in a world that chases after sin and self-satisfaction. We want to live as people who draw others towards our Savior and our King. So our distinctive mindset will enable us this evening to fight against whatever suffering this world will throw at us. It will make us glow in the darkness of a hopeless world. Our distinctive character, the fact that we are holy, will set us apart from the world, and it will teach them the reverence and awe that they have to have towards our God and the awe that He deserves. And it will show lives transformed and people changed, not by just a self-help course, not by some get fit or get better sort of a book, but by the grace of God, the only thing that can properly change and transform people's lives. And our distinctive story will enable us to take this good news of hope to the people across this town and across this land, to our family and to our friends, so that this story becomes not just something that they hear about, but it becomes their story too. We finish with a quote from John Calvin. And Calvin said this, when hope animates us, there is vigor in the whole body. When hope animates us, when we understand hope, it brings vigor to the whole body. It brings life and it brings action. Tonight, we want to go as a church full of hope and full of vigor for our Lord and King. Let us pray. Father, this evening, we thank you for your word to us. Father, often we place our hope in other places. Often we look to other things. And tonight we ask that we would set our minds firmly on the hope that is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Father, lift our eyes from the things of this world. 
fix them firmly on Jesus Christ. Father, we pray tonight that we would live with this distinctive hope in a hopeless world and that we would have a distinctive mark of holiness about us, that we would see what you have done for us and it would motivate us, that it would encourage us to live as holy people because you are a holy God. And Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for that precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have redeemed us, not with a perishable currency, but with an imperishable currency in Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you tonight for that distinctive story that you have given us, that you have made us part of your people. Father, help us, help us as a church to be a place of hope, that the light and the truth of the gospel would shine from here into all the people around this town. We pray that you will be with us tomorrow and throughout the week. Help us to live as disciples full of vigor, encouraged by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.